There are many good things happening in this body of believers, and D19, certainly one of them. That has been a highlight for me this last year. So if you're interested or you know somebody who should be interested that isn't, uh, come talk to me. Let me, just, uh, <laughs> let me just talk to Jesus a little bit here. Lord, I just, we desire this morning to celebrate you, Jesus. Could you just come and bring clarity to our minds? Wake us up out of the slumber and lull that we sometimes get into at this holiday season, which is actually all about you. Lord, could you just uh, not only stir in us, but shake us and wake us up, Lord, so that we would be receptive to what you are saying to us here this morning. We desire to hear from you, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Does anybody remember what we did for a sermon a week ago? Somebody just shout it out to see if I can get anybody who remembers. We talked about the Christmas story. Yeah, amazing. That, that's a big surprise, right? At Christmas. And... Uh, so we talked about the Christmas story, and one of the things that comes out of the Christmas story is that there's a lot of prophecy that's included in the story, and every, every character in the Christmas story, as, as it's, uh, you would read about it in the beginning of Matthew and Luke, every character either speaks prophecy, receives prophecy, um, or fulfills a prophecy. And so just for an example of that, I'm going to show you a scripture in Isaiah. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and it says this, for, us, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And this is talking about Jesus, it's a prophetic word, and just so you know when it's talking about the government being on his shoulders, in really simple terms, that's just a reference that he will have all authority, okay? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, which is also a name for the Holy Spirit. He will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and... Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and their peace, there will be no end. Is Jesus called the Prince of Peace? Sure he is. And so that leads me, let's take that and, and fast forward to the Christmas story. And let's, let's look at a, a, a verse that really strikes me in the story. And I think is something that we need to celebrate about Jesus but also with some, maybe it needs some clarification. So let's look at Luke chapter 2. It's talking about the angels come and meet, the, the one angel comes to meet the shepherds, and the shepherds are already terrified when they saw one angel, and then suddenly there's a great company of the heavenly host that appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. And a lot of Christians put a period right there, and they go, there you go, Merry Christmas. On earth, peace. And there's this striking little part right after that that says, to those on whom his favor rests. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Peace is a major component, a major aspect. It's a, it's a huge part of the Christian faith. Okay? If we went, you cannot, uh, we cannot pull that out in one sermon here, but there's a lot of times in the New Testament, I can think of at least four, four times, 
where the New Testament tells us that as far as it depends on us, we should live at peace with everybody. That kind of idea. Peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We have, we, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. One of the results of the Holy Spirit is peace. Paul refers to the story about Jesus as the gospel of peace. <laughs> and there's at least five times in the New Testament where God is referred to as the God of peace. Okay, so this is a, this is a major component of the Christian faith is that God is the God of peace. It's the gospel of peace. And you just came through a season in your life where you probably got a few Christmas cards. Did you receive any Christmas cards this year that had the word peace on them? Raise your hand if, you, if you've seen that word celebrated about some Christmas. Here's what I find fascinating about that. Sometimes you get that on a Christmas card, and it might even say Luke 2.14 on it, peace. And, but sometimes you also get Christmas cards that there's no scripture reference there at all. It just says peace. Okay. And then I realized the person who issued that card, I don't even know if they're a believer. There's actually not even a biblical reference there. The card maybe didn't even come from a believer, and yet it says peace on it. And it actually starts me thinking, are we talking about the same thing? But God is a God of peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And you ever notice how nobody puts a blizzard, picture of a blizzard on a Christmas card? The snow is always softly falling, right? Is that the peace that these angels are talking about? So then I started thinking about this, and I realized that, do you know that everybody in the world actually wants peace? This isn't a, just a Christian thing. Everybody wants peace. Governments around the world take their military, and they desire to do whatever it takes with their military in order to establish and regain and uphold peace. Virtually every Miss America, what do they want? World peace, Right? Parents, and maybe you can identify this, but we sometimes stoop to like stupid, foolish things in order to establish or try and regain the peace in our homes. Right? We, we want peace. In the 60s, what was the... Imagine if behind me there was a big billboard with lots of bright colors and flowers and I had bell-bottom pants on and kind of had a little bit of a head bob and with hands out, hands out like this, what am, I, what am I gesturing? Peace. And with my other hand... More peace. <laughs> and isn't that a funny thing? That's exactly what people want. Peace. That's why people smoke. You can put whatever you want in that cigarette, but what is it for? It's for peace. It's a smoke, yeah. But it's actually a, an, an attempt at finding peace. And is there a peace associated with that? Sure. How long does it last? <laughs> Not very. Right? One breath for sure. After a couple of breaths, maybe you'll get a couple hours of peace or whatever it is. But that kind of peace is awfully temporary and fragile. We don't even have to explain that, right? So let's, let's imagine and think about this a little bit together. If you 
If you would imagine a place on this earth in this lifetime where you could go to have the most amazing peace, the most peaceful place you could imagine, a place where you could go and it would just be completely peaceful, where would you go? I have already a guess in my head about two predominant things that you guys are going to say. Would you go to Israel? Isn't that ironic? Anybody who wanted to anybody who wanted to go to a place of peace would not go to Israel. Isn't that ironic that Jesus, who created the world, when he came, his peace, he's the prince of peace. And where he's born, where he's lived, where he died, where he rose again, that land, and where he's coming back again, and his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives, is a place that doesn't have peace. Interesting. So where would you, just hold that in the back of your head, but where would you go if you wanted to, if you wanted to just experience peace? Okay, I'll fill in the blanks because I don't know why, I don't, I'm not sure why you're not interacting, but I'll fill in the blanks. Some of you, I would imagine that there's quite a few of you, especially guys, who would love to either, uh, I'll, just, I'll just pick fishing maybe, because you would love to somehow, if it was possible, to be able to have gotten on a boat and be out somewhere where there's no other boats and that you'll be out in the water and that when the sun comes up, there will be nothing moving. The water will be like glass. The wind won't even be blowing and you will hear no cars, no trains, no planes, and your phone won't be ringing, and that will feel like peace. Are you with me? Yeah. What was that? No fish? No fish? Some people might even say if you caught a fish, it would be okay. It would be allowed into the peace. Okay? Some of you might think that maybe peace is more like being at home because you feel like it's too much work to go to a lake or whatever is involved to get there. Maybe peace is being at home in the afternoon when your kids are at school and the work for the day is actually done a little bit early and you get home, it's 2.30, and you realize that the sun is coming in the window, there's no sirens going down your street, it's fairly quiet, and you just realize, man, I'm just going to lay down for a few minutes and have a little rest. And you're like, that is peace. Until 30 minutes later, the kids come storming in the house, slam the door, and there's yelling, and there's all, the kids are on the street, and it, suddenly the peace is gone. And you know what happened to the guy in the lake? That peace, although it's amazing, if that was where we could go to for peace, then we should all just go there. But the reality is, what if on that lake the boat motor doesn't start and you see some clouds rolling in and suddenly it's a little chillier than you imagined and maybe you should have checked the forecast. What happened to the peace? It's completely gone. That peace that we're thinking about is completely circumstantial. It's incredibly fragile and it's incredibly temporary. So whatever kind of peace these angels are talking about, the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace, just so you understand kind of a rule of understanding Scripture, if you want to build a theology on this, then whatever peace that they are talking about has to line up with things that 
the rest of Scripture says. And just for really easy understanding, you would have to line up with what Jesus himself said. Would you agree? Would you agree? Okay. So in understanding what this piece is, I'm just going to leave that verse up there. But I'm going, to, I'm going to read to you, and we're going to think about some of Jesus' most basic teaching on peace. And we'll just start with a verse, a passage that we know really well, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life or everlasting life. And then in verse 17 it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And we think that sounds like peace. Agree? His intention was to send Jesus to save the world. Wow, is that peace. The very next verse alludes to something similar to what's underlined up there. And it says, I better get the words right. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in God's one and only Son. What happened to the peace? It just got cut in half. I'm serious. There's actually division there because you realize in John 3.16, if you read to 18... The peace that God is offering the world, there's already signs of division because it says whoever doesn't believe is condemned. And so you have all the people in the world who God wants to save, and I'm cutting it in half, that's very generous, but Jesus says it's actually going to be far more that don't believe. But there's already division because some don't believe and they're actually going to be condemned. That peace isn't for everybody. It's only for those who believe in Jesus. That's who receives this peace. It actually sounds divisive. In Luke 12, 51, Jesus said these words. Do you... This is Luke 12, 51, and each one of the synoptic gospels, if you're keeping track, says the same thing. Do you think that I came to bring peace on the earth? No. He says, do you think that I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. One of the other Gospels says that children will rebel against their parents even to the point of putting their parents to death. What is Jesus talking about? How is that peace? He says, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No. It has to line up with exactly this. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. What's the rest of the sentence? To those on whom his favor rests. This peace that the angels sang about and Jesus proclaims is not necessarily an absence 
actually not necessarily is already too weak of a word. It's, it is not an absence of war. Jesus himself said that it's actually a sign of the end times that there is going to be an increase in war. That kind of a peace that the angels sang about is not an absence of trouble. Because, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. It's not that kind of peace that the angels sang about is not an absence of all conflict. It's not an absence of people who hate you. It's not that everybody you meet is going to be meeting you like this. And so, you know, when somebody meets you like this and indicating peace, what, what are they actually saying? We're not going to fight. We're just going to be chill. It's going to be cool. We can be friends. We don't want to cause an argument or whatever. That along that line. But this kind of peace is not the absence of people who hate you. Because Jesus said in Mark 13, He said, everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So what kind of a peace is He talking about here? In Matthew 11, Jesus also said these words. And I think these describe the kind of peace that the angels were singing about. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Did you catch that? Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. He's expecting that we're going to be tired. He's expecting that we're going to have a weight on us that feels heavy. And he says, in that situation, in that circumstance, I want you to come to me and I'll give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm, humble and, I'm gentle and humble in heart and you are going to find rest for your souls. And then he says these amazing words. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you ever wrestled with that as a Christian, thinking, how does, Jesus, how does your yoke easy and your burden light? So there are people in this world today, I read of more this last week, who actually gave up their very lives, they became martyrs for Jesus. That verse applies to them, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, you are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Think about the families of the person who got martyred. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. How does that even make sense, Jesus? It only makes sense when you understand that that peace has nothing to do with the circumstance you're in. It has to do with who Jesus is. And a strength that only He can provide, not in regards to our circumstance. In Revelation, if you're keeping up with the Bible reading as we, some of us are reading the Bible this year, and if you read Revelations 20 today, you realize that there's actually special status in heaven for those who have been beheaded for Jesus. Jesus. 
Jesus expected that that would happen, and this verse applies to them. But that's the kind of peace that Jesus, the angels are singing about this peace, that even in the most horrible circumstance, we can have peace and an assurance in Jesus. He describes that kind of peace in Philippians 4. Verses 4 to 8 kind of gives a little bit of a recipe for that peace. He starts off with this. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. He says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. And he says, let your, evident, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he says this famous verse, which many of us know by heart. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. It's kind of giving the recipe. Then he says, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, I better read this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He, when we come to Jesus with rejoicing, with thanksgiving, with prayer, and we present our request, he actually says there is going to be a peace of God that envelops us, guards our hearts, that is, goes beyond understanding goes beyond what we can comprehend. It doesn't even make sense, the peace we experience. That promise can't be true if, if the peace that we're supposed to experience was all circumstantial. Does it make sense? If the peace that Christians were supposed to get was just having a nice, easy, comfortable life, that would make sense to everybody because they would go, oh, I can see, what's, I can see what happens here. So-and-so accepted Jesus They're following him, and now everything's working out in their life. That's very understandable. But the peace that comes from God isn't understandable. It goes beyond understanding. Because it means that in spite of circumstances, you have peace. And people look at a Christian like that, and they go, how on earth are you experiencing peace in that moment? And that's the kind of peace these angels were singing about. But it doesn't just, that kind of peace doesn't just apply to extreme examples like martyrs. It applies to everyday, ordinary things that we experience. You might feel unloved by your spouse or by your kids or by your parents. You might feel unappreciated. Maybe nobody knows. It's just kind of something that's inside you. You might feel like your home is chaotic. Your life is a bit chaotic. And it feels like there isn't peace there. Or you might be under pressure at work, or maybe you struggle with lack of finances, and life doesn't feel especially peaceful. This peace that the angels are singing about applies to you in those situations because this peace is not based on circumstances. Amen? This peace is for those, and it's not even for everybody. It's only for those who acknowledge Jesus as the source of that peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And if you come to Him, acknowledge Him as your Lord and Savior, and you come with reverence, you can expect that kind of peace that is non-circumstantial. You can see that there's an example of this in the Old Testament. I want to tell you two abridged versions of a story or, or two stories from the Old Testament that kind of explain this concept. That God is a God of peace, but it's only 
people who come to him with the right reverent heart and on bended knee, as it were, that experience the peace. So in the Old Testament, there was this box with the poles and the cherubim was called the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, and it represented this God whom we know is the Prince of Peace. And so do you guys remember the story of David when he was bringing up, the Ark had been captured, this is from Second Samuel chapter 6, the Ark had been captured and the Philistines had captured it and now it was David, there was a story where David was now bringing it back home to Jerusalem where it belonged. And he had it on a wooden cart pulled by oxen. And as they were traveling along with this cart, this guy named Uzzah, the oxen stumble, he puts out his hand. What happened to him? He died on the spot because of his irreverent act. And right following that is this little interesting verse or two. And so because of that, David stopped, and he, he was not willing to continue that journey with the ark. And so he took the ark, and he brought it to the house, uh, the house of o, uh, Obed-Edom the Gittite. This is 2 Samuel 6, verse 10 to 12 is where I'm reading. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. Isn't that fascinating? And I, I want you to know that. So this guy and his household, exactly what those blessings looked like, I don't know, but within three months it was evident to everybody that guy has been blessed because of the presence of this God, who is the Prince of Peace. And so we know this Obed, Edom, must have been on his knees, as it were, ex approaching God with that right attitude. And I want, you to, I want to contrast that story with a story that happened a few chapters earlier, in 1 Samuel 5 and 6. The Philistines are at war with the Israelites, and they capture the ark, and they bring the ark back to their own country and they're going to put the ark in the same temple as their false god because I guess they're thinking I guess all gods go in the same temple this is exposing some more truths and they, they put the ark in that temple with their god named Dagon and he's a statue and the next morning what happens they come into the temple what do they find Dagon is lying on his face. That's weird. So they put him, they prop him back up, and the next day they come in again, and what do they find? Dagon's laying on his face, but this time his arm and his head is broken off. And they recognize, wait a second, something very unpeaceful is happening with whom we know is the God of peace. Even these guys, these Philistines, figured that out, and so they, take, they, remove, they realize it's the ark of the Lord that's doing this. It's the presence of God, and so they removed the ark, and they figured, we'll bring him to a different city. And so they bring him to a different city. They bring the ark to a different city, and guess what happens in the city? The city is overrun with tumors and rats, 
and there's death in the city, and people start to panic. And so they, they, they take the ark and put it, bring it to a different city. And guess what happens there? The same thing happens. There's more tumors, more rats. There's disease, there's outbreak, there's death. And they recognize it's because of this ark of God. And so it's a fascinating little story. They put the ark on a cart, hook it up to two wild cows that have never been haltered, halter broke or anything, and they, and they let those cows go, and they, the cows take the cart back to Israel. And when the priests in the town of Beth Shemesh, when they, re- they, they see the ark coming, they receive it, they, they place the ark properly on a rock, they take the cart, they sacrifice to the Lord, And even in that moment, 70 of them look into the ark and their act of irreverence cost them their lives and they die. 70 of them. And it leads the people in that town, the rest of the people in that town, to ask this question. This is 1 Samuel 6 verse 20. Who can stand in the presence of this holy God? Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God, whom we know is the Prince of Peace? What's the answer? Who can stand in the presence of the Lord? It's people who acknowledge Him as their Lord and Savior and come to Him on their knees with reverence can stand in the presence of the Lord. And so another way of saying that would be the only people who can stand in the presence of the Lord are those people who are on their knees in the presence of the Lord. The peace of God that the angels were singing about is not so that everybody in the world is going to have a trouble-free, easy life. This peace of God that the angels are singing about is not even so that Christians will have a trouble-free, easy life in this world. This peace of God, which the angels are singing about, is for those who have a relationship with Jesus, who rejoice in Jesus, who trust in Jesus in spite of their circumstances. I sometimes even wonder if it isn't the circumstances, those, those problems, those troubles, the weight, the burden. Maybe that helps us identify who actually trusts God. And this piece is for those who with great anticipation look forward to the day when there will be that full experience of peace with Jesus. Jesus said it well in John 16.33. Look at how he explains this. Jesus says, I have told you these things. And he just finished telling from the previous two chapters. He was telling the disciples about what it's going to be like after he's gone. And he includes many scriptures about the Holy Spirit. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Where is that peace found? In who? In Jesus. There is no other way to experience that peace except in Jesus. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He wasn't kidding. (laughs) 
In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's talking about a peace that is not based on circumstances of some kind of a obscure idea of a pain-free, easy life. He's talking about a peace in Jesus. And the interesting thing is that everybody wants that peace. But only those who surrender to Jesus and come to Him on His terms can actually experience it. Join with me in prayer. Jesus, we just desire to celebrate this morning that You are the Prince of Peace. I pray, Jesus, that we would understand that to, in, in such a degree that it would actually wake in us this appreciation for who You are, what You have accomplished, the amazing gift that You have given us in Your Son and in leaving us Your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand and not become sidetracked by any types of lies or pernicious lies, Lord, that would lead us astray to thinking that that peace is somehow going to be an easy life for us. Lord, as we come to you, even though some of us are in deep, heavy, burdening trouble, fill us, Lord, with a sense of your peace as we acknowledge, Jesus, that in spite of those circumstances, you are the Prince of Peace. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. Amen.